Hello, this is Jessica Jimeno, and you are listening to Flip Switch, the podcast and blog that helps teens and 20-somethings understand depression and bipolar disorder. As part of our series for National Minority Mental Health Awareness Month, I interviewed attorney and award-winning author Melody Moisey, who has Bipolar One. Despite her young age, she has accomplished so much. She's even been on NPR and CNN. Today, Melody tells us about her worst experience with anti-bipolar stigma. As an Iranian Muslim, she also debunks harmful myths about Muslims. My name is Melody Moisey. I'm originally from Iran. I grew up mostly in Dayton, Ohio. I was born in 1979, which was the year of the Islamic Revolution in Iran, and both my parents are Iranian. Immediately after the hostage crisis in 1980, a lot of Iranians were kicked out of the U.S., and we had to leave because my parents had proper documents, but those documents were destroyed during the hostage crisis. When the Iranian students took over the American embassy, they destroyed all these documents, and my parents' documents were among those. So then we had to leave the U.S. We lived in Greece and France and then back to Iran, waiting to get a visa to come back to the United States. And in Iran, the Iran-Iraq war had started. So it was pretty vital. We really wanted to get out of there. We ended up leaving Iran, eventually getting a visa to come back to the United States. And we settled in Ohio. So how old were you when you settled in Ohio? Five or six. And how old are you now? I'm currently 32. What is your occupation? I'm a full-time writer. I'm working on my second book right now, and I'm a commentator and an activist for issues related to Iran, Islam, and also mental health. I'm a United Nations global expert, and I'm also an opinion leader with the British Council, and they help syndicate my writing all over the world. I'm a commentator for NPR. I've written for the Washington Post. I've written for the Christian Science Monitor, CNN. I'm a blogger for the Huffington Post. I blog for Ms. Magazine. I am a columnist and a blogger for Bipolar Magazine as well, which is probably most relevant to you. What is your education? I went to Wesleyan University for my undergrad in Connecticut, and I majored in philosophy. And after that, I got a JD and a master's in public health from Emory University. So I'm a lawyer by trade. I also have a master's in public health. What is your official diagnosis? Bipolar 1. What is your earliest memory of depression? Probably in high school, around my sophomore year, I had a really bad depression that lasted because I, I didn't take any medication. I didn't know what it was, but that lasted for over a year. You were undiagnosed? I was undiagnosed, yeah. What is your earliest memory of mania? My first manic episode was in my sophomore year of college. There was a period of time when I was unable to sit still and I went running. And I'm not the kind of person who generally goes running unless someone is chasing me. So it was very out of character. How long would you run for? Hours. The longest that I probably did run was maybe six hours. I would just run until I was tired. And I was never tired. When were you first diagnosed with bipolar 1? That was almost three years ago. After my first acute manic episode, I had a psychotic break completely. So that was in November of 2008, I believe. How old were you? I was 29, and it had been 10 years, a good 10 years of misdiagnosis with depression before that. I was being treated for many years for depression when really I had bipolar disorder. 
stigma was in several psychiatric hospitals, I immediately got the sense that the staff thought I was less than them. I recently got my medical records, a series of medical records from a hospital in Atlanta where I stayed after a manic episode and I was brought in by my family. My family was all available for them to speak with. And all over the records, it says patient has delusions that she is an attorney. She also has delusions that she's an author. Both these things are correct. I am an attorney and I am an author. So it was really upsetting. You know, God forbid they actually believe me that that was the truth. They could have really easily checked that out by asking my family. In terms of that kind of stigma that is inside of a hospital, the sort of hierarchy is already built in there. That was the worst experience for me because I felt like everybody was looking down on me and nobody believed all of the true things that I was saying because I, the assumption was that I had all these delusions and that somebody who had this many delusions couldn't have achieved, for example, a certain level of education. Why do you think the doctors had such a hard time believing you are an attorney? Basically, I think the reason that they didn't believe that I was an attorney had to do with my mania and had to do with their own stigma and the prejudices they had believing that somebody who, for example, had three hours before disrobed in public could not possibly be an attorney because that is not behavior that is befitting an attorney, right? Part of it had to do with that. But it was really disturbing because I was giving them valid legal claims in terms of malpractice and battery and false imprisonment. And these are valid claims that I could have filed. And you think, quite honestly, for their own purposes to avoid liability, it would be important because I know for a fact that whenever I go to a the physical doctor, they want to know if I'm an attorney. I know because both my parents are physicians. So every time they have an attorney who's a patient, they pay attention because they're a little worried that this is a litigious patient. So I was sort of used to that in the physical health care environment. But suddenly in mental health care, saying that I was an attorney was something that was, people started taking me less seriously, which was funny. But I did find myself in certain circumstances giving other patients legal advice, which was also a weird experience inside of a psychiatric facility wearing Hello Kitty pajamas and giving someone else legal advice is not something I ever thought would happen to me. Was this hospitalization before or after you were diagnosed with bipolar disorder? After. What is your worst experience with anti-Muslim discrimination and or racial discrimination? Growing up in Ohio is a great place to grow up. Sure, there weren't that many minorities, but we stuck together. All of the Indians, Egyptians, Iranians, Koreans, like there were certain communities that had, there was a large Egyptian community, there was actually a very large Iranian community, there was a large Korean community, and a good-sized minority Jewish community. So all of us sort of stuck together, which I thought was a nice way to grow up. I took all AAP classes, which meant I was in the classes with all the other Asian kids. So I can't say growing up, I, I experienced a lot of discrimination. Because I don't wear hijab, I don't face immediate discrimination, but at the same time, since I speak openly about Islam, people feel welcome to judge me as a Muslim or judge me as a terrorist or whatever they think I am. The worst situation for me is because of the things that I've written openly about Islam, particularly supporting gay and lesbian Muslims in their rights, I have received two death threats. That's where I draw the line. That's where I actually start caring, but nothing is coming of them. So. What is the name of your already published book? War on Air, just like War on Terror, but without the T. And it's real stories of American Muslims. I think the 
greatest misconceptions that Americans have about Muslims is that they're violent and that violence is any part of Islam. Violence is only permissible in Islam in self-defense. It's exactly the same as American criminal law. I think they also misinterpret the term jihad. The translation I most frequently hear is holy war, but in Islam there's nothing holy about war. The word jihad actually means to struggle, and it's mainly an internal struggle against oppression and of the soul. There's also an external jihad, which is to fight oppression wherever you see it. My work as an activist against Islamophobia for a free Iran, against the stigma surrounding mental illness, all of that is an expression of jihad for me. To conclude, Melody's happiness and success are so uplifting in a world that fears Muslims and jeers at people with bipolar. Anyone fighting mental illness or anyone who loves someone with mental illness can draw strength from her example. In the next podcast, part two of two, Melody will tell us the keys to her success, how she is actually able to use her bipolar experiences including painful ones, to her advantage. Tune in next time. But before the next podcast, you can always hear other podcasts and check out my blogs on the Flip Switch page at www.bpkids.org forward slash flip switch forward slash podcast. Leave a comment. Be heard. Until next time, this is Jessica Jimeno signing off and saying thank you for listening to Flip Switch.